listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. It is a joy to spend a few moments with you in the middle of your week. I hope everything is going wonderful. I hope all is well. Uh, This week of prayer and fasting, I'm sure, has taken some of your time and attention, and I hope that also is going well. If you forgot about it, it's not too late to get started. We still have a good uh, several days before Sunday when we will all be partaking of the Lord's Supper uh, together. I want to, for a few moments, talk about the idea of the devices that demons use. Now, my reference, my scriptural context is going to be uh, that passage that we, we, we referenced this past Sunday in Corinthians where Paul speaks of a man who had done uh, wrong things and had, uh, in some ways, offended and even embarrassed the church there. And then Paul makes a point to talk about forgiveness. And he says this, um, because we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. I thought about that uh, all day Monday. And maybe maybe I'm just uh, sensitive to uh, the devices of demons right now. I don't know. But it has, it has continued in my mind and in my spirit. And I have thought so much about the manner in which the forces of the enemy specifically attack a people of a faith. And it's more than just the devices of Satan. You know, he's not everywhere, do you see? Um, he's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He is a, a created being, and he dwells beyond the flesh. He dwells in the spirit realm in a manner that is quite difficult for us uh, flesh-bound beings, particularly us modern uh, flesh-bound beings, um, to understand. And yet the works of, uh, uh, of the enemy are, are everywhere. And we see those, but we also, as individual believers, experience them. And we are challenged to recognize them for what they are and to overcome those those attacks of of the enemy. It's very possible for us to be intimidated by the spiritual world. Uh, It's very impossible for us to be in some way uh, dramatized in some way where it becomes something that it is not. That's one error of, uh, shall we say, uh, one side of the spectrum. On the other hand, it's possible for us to fall into the belief that these spiritual battles do not actually exist, and we uh, don't in some way wrestle with them and struggle with them. Uh, I, want to, I want to first of all deal with the fact that we cannot be intimidated by uh, the forces of the enemy in our life, because if we allow that to happen, uh, first of all, it is a form of, of a flawed uh, worship when we believe the marketing, shall we say, the lies, the image um, of the enemy. Uh, The Bible says, and you know this, you can quote it, that the enemy goes around like a roaring lion. It doesn't say he is a roaring lion, and we we know this, we we preach it, we celebrate it. Uh, The Bible gives us one spiritual lion, (laughs) that's the lion of the tribe of Judah, Uh, but the, uh, the enemy goes about 
carrying himself as though he had that kind of authority and power when he does not. Uh, if we allow ourselves to be too infatuated with uh, the power of the enemy, uh, we, we, in some ways it's as though we freeze spiritually. We, we hide in our little holes like church mice. <laughs> and we don't go out because there's this great big devil and this little bitty God. And that's just, that's, that's folly. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Uh, one of my first loves as a as a young man was a military history. I'm, I, I don't know why. It's just I was a history buff early. And there was a general in World War II, in some ways perhaps one of the most successful generals, and that was um, uh, Gen General Rommel on the side of the Axis. And he, he, in the early parts of the war, in the conflict throughout North Africa, uh, General Rommel literally... He just gave all the Allied forces a spanking. Uh, he had less supplies than they did. Uh, he had longer lines of supply. But in his, the, the, if, if I understand the, the, the military history side of it, I, I would describe it this way, and I think I do, but you know how that goes. Um, he understood maneuver warfare when, in that he used his forces as moving pieces at speed Whereas the generals he fought understood static warfare, and they understood trench warfare. They understood blocking forces and the like. So that's a real quick overview. Because of this insight into the changing nature of warfare, Rommel was able to win victories uh, over and over again that just seemed, uh, they seemed uh, unlikely. And he got this type of, he was so feared by the Allied forces that there was uh, one of the uh, commanders uh, there who uh, actually was on the Allied side, and uh, his name was uh, General uh, Alchinlik. I, I may be mispronouncing his na name, but that's, that's close enough for the purposes of this, of this Bible study. Um, he, he wrote a letter to all his commanders, to all his, all the officers under him, and, and he said this, there exists a real danger that our friend Rommel, it was their enemy, but you know, this is kind of that understated British way of speaking. There exists a real danger that our friend Rommel is becoming a king or a magician or a bogeyman to our troops who are talking far too much about him. He is by no means a superman, although he is undoubtedly very energetic and able. Even if he were a superman, it would still be highly undesirable that our men should credit him with supernatural powers. And the general goes on, I wish you to dispel by all possible means the idea that Rommel represents something more than the ordinary. Uh, if you know your World War II history, uh, even a little bit, you know that Rommel was driven back, driven back across those, um, those dry wastes of North Africa, and he was defeated, and he had to uh, retreat back into continental Europe. Uh, you know that, and uh, you can see, hopefully, how uh, even if Rommel did have special powers, it did not help the Allies to see him that way. I read that story recently and I, I was reminded of, of how we do this with the forces of the enemy in our life. 
the, the manner in which um, spiritual adversaries trick, intimidate, and work against against us. Paul is saying, look, um, we don't want Satan to get an advantage over us. Uh, we are not ignorant <clears throat> of, of his devices. And so we're not going to settle for the enemy getting an advantage over us. How does the enemy gain advantage over us? Now, this is a much longer Bible study than I have time for right now. But in this week of prayer and fasting, I want to, I want to give you some kind of a, a basic toolkit of understanding on how the enemy uh, will bring uh, a consistent oppression uh, against us. I want to structure it. I want to structure this uh, in terms of the Bible and our understanding of God's will. There's a lot of practical things that we could talk about, and maybe we will in another time. I, I, I certainly feel the need to, but uh, you do have a personality type. You are set in a, uh, a context of family, friends, career, neighborhood, uh, city. Um, you have certain... So there are specific manners in which that the enemy consistently brings uh, oppression against you to try to hinder, discourage, to stop you. You should not be ignorant of that. One of the, goal, one of the goals and one of the advantages of taking a week like this is in our prayer and in our fasting, the Lord opens our understanding and we begin to recognize the consistent paths that uh, the forces of, of, of the enemy use to gain um, access to our our hearts and our life. I want to I want to give you a real quick framework to understanding the devices of the enemy uh, in terms of the the will of God. And so the first thing I would say in that regard is uh, the device of hell is to make us ignorant of God's will. We want he the enemy wants us to be ignorant of God's will. Uh, Satan is first and foremost a deceiver. Uh, we see that in Genesis chapter number three. Um, we see that also referenced uh, in John chapter number eight when Jesus is speaking. Uh, he was a deceiver from the beginning. Uh, Jesus says. Um, the enemy is a liar. The enemy is a deceiver, and the the spirits that are in union with. Uh, satanic oppression is going to operate in that same manner uh, uh, against us to make us ignorant of the will of God or to some way distort the will of God or in some way to misapply uh, the will of God. God has a purpose in the earth and He has a path that His people are to walk in the fulfilling of that purpose. And I believe the enemy has had most success with changing what that path should be and then calling it the will of God. I think this is the deceiver at his best. Um, I've seen so many zealous people who were not making any difference in their world from my perspective. I, I, I'll, they have a judge. I will uh, let the judge hold them uh, finally accountable, of course. But it seemed to me that they had, they believed the work of God was something else, whether it was uh, some type of 
a spiritual distraction to them, whether it was some type of a posturing. Um, they, they, often meaning well, misshaped the will of God. The Bible tells us what we ought to be doing. The Bible tells us the kind of spirit that we, we should be manifesting and gives us the heart of God. If the enemy can get us to be ignorant of that or in some way to distort it to fit our personality needs rather than God's eternal kingdom, uh, that is, I would say, the most common device of the enemy in our life. We must be in the Word and we must let it light our light our feet. Uh, David said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. I delight to do thy will. Um, we must pursue the Word of God. We must pursue the directions that God has given us for this hour and this time. We have to rightly divide the Word of God. That's a uh, that's we use that so often. I've heard that my whole life. I I, I was forty years old before I understood what it meant. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm just a slow learner. I don't know. Um, but you rightly you rightfully divide the word of God by putting things together that go together. A typical mistake is when we'll take something that doesn't go in this era of God's. Um, uh, outreach to humanity. Uh, we, we live in a time of grace, a church age, and it's perhaps different. The path to God is different. And it's not that God has changed, but His mercy has changed the manner in which we can approach Him. And so now, in this era of grace and hope and love, it's, it's the goodness of God, do you see, that leads men to repentance. But you can get off in the Old Testament books, and <laughs> it's not the goodness of God that's leading people to repentance. It's, it's a judgment message. Well, if you just pick that up and put it in your sermon on Sunday because you were in the mood, uh, you, because you had a bad week, you're not rightfully dividing the Word of God. There's lessons there, yes. It's anointed, yes. It's powerful, yes. Uh, but that is not the tone whereby uh, the church manifests the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, we cannot be, um, we cannot in some way be ignorant of the will of God. We, 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 we cannot be blind to the heart of God. Um, we have to understand the will of God. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 17, uh, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. First Colossians 1 and 9, We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, how about Ephesians uh, chapter number six, uh, when uh, in, in verse number six also, where where Paul talks about how uh, when we get it right, when we're walking with God right, um, as believers we become the servants of Christ. We we are doing the will of God from our heart. That will is not duty. It's not obligation, but it's worship. It is delight. It is a manner of approaching God, a manner of knowing God. We are no longer servants, but we are the children and the friends of uh, of the Lord. The, the second thing that I think, remember we're, we're trying to look at 
devices of the enemy in terms of, of God's will, uh, a framework for that. The, the second thing, so the first thing is to make you ignorant of the will of God, to miss the point of it, to either not know it on one hand or to misapply it uh, on the other. Um, the, the second thing is to make us impatient uh, with, with the will of the Lord. Waiting is very hard, but it is in waiting that spiritual maturity blossoms. Waiting is exhausting, even though you're not doing anything. <laughs> but it is in spiritual waiting that the, the development of our faith is in some way perfected. Um, waiting cannot be denied. It scripturally cannot, cannot be uh, ignored. And consider Job. Um, he lived out. He lived out more than spiritual battle. <clears throat> he lived out more than spiritual contest. Uh, he lived out a path of speaking truth to all the generations that would follow as to why people of faith were going to serve God. Uh, Lucifer had this opinion <clears throat> that humanity only served as long as they were served. Uh, the Lord said no. This is then contested in the life of Job and given to us as holy scripture uh, to learn from. And so Job begins to lose his blessing. And every time he loses something, there's a carnal explanation for it. But the origin is spiritual. That's such an important lesson for all of us uh, to, to, to know and to, to learn from. Even when there's logical explanations for thing that ha things that happen in our life, there can very well be a spiritual origin for that same thing. And so you see here these natural explanations, all spiritual in origin. Uh, the Sabaeans took his oxen and his cattle. Uh, fire from heaven, or lightning probably is what they're trying to say, uh, killed his sheep. Um, the Chaldeans took his camels. Uh, a storm destroyed the home of the eldest brother. All of his other children were in the home, and they, uh, they were lost with the eldest brother. Job has lost everything, and yet he refuses to turn away uh, from his faith in his faith in God. Um, now, in the New Testament, this story will be referenced um, by James when he's writing to the church there in Jerusalem, um, and he he says this chapter uh, verse number eleven, chapter five. Uh, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord and that the Lord was compassionate and merciful. Uh, Job's victory is a victory of waiting. It is a victory of patience. It is a victory of trusting. Uh, the enemy has this device he, use, he uses, and that is simply to, to get us, to, to make us impatient with the will of God. James 1, uh, chapter 2 through, excuse me, verses 2 through 4, my brother, and count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It's just different, diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Do you see that? But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting 
uh, nothing. Uh, impatience is the clear sign of spiritual immaturity, and yet all of us struggle with spiritual uh, impatience. Uh, so if the first device of the enemy uh, is to make us ignorant of God's will, the second device would be to make us impatient with God's will. Both of these have the intended consequence of making us independent of God's will. Do you see? Ignorant of God's will, impatient with God's will, independent of God's will. Now this is the moment when we choose to live out a spiritual rebellion. We, we know God's will was this, and we said, no, it's just, I don't have time, impatient. Um, I, I, I don't understand, I'm ignorant. Um, we line up our excuses, and then we you know, kind of uh, display them like a table full of uh, dominoes. Yeah, but one push, and all of those excuses comes uh, tumbling down. We cannot, we cannot, in frustration or in ignorance, be satisfied to just choose our own way and call it good. Because when we do that, when we do that, we define our own way and then we stamp it with God's approval. We are doing the exact same thing as people who do not know the Lord, do not serve the Lord, are spiritual, spiritual aliens to God. Uh, what do they do? They do what is right in their own eyes. Just because we're religious doesn't mean that temptation is not there. Because what we will then do is twist our religion to serve us. And now our faith is more about our culture, more about our traditions, more about our way. It's not holding the Word of God in trembling hands. It's not pursuing what example, what um, sign... <laughs> Should my life be giving to the world in which I, am, uh, I live? This is not a mystery. The Bible tells us how people should know us. The Bible tells us what the signs of God's presence upon us should be. I know we make up some of our own, but that's not. The Bible is clear about the kind of lives that we should be living to manifest the the heart of the heart of God. Uh, you can see where. You can see where individuals in the Scripture make this mistake, where they, they act in disobedience to God's will because of this decision, perhaps generated by fear, by pride, whatever, but they decision to act independently of the will of God. I, I would say one of the most instructive stories is the life of David in the Old Testament. And this isn't to besmirch David. He was... Uh, the, the, the knowledge we have of David's flaws is a gift. It's not, it's not an embarrassment. It's a gift. It makes us more likely to get it right, not less likely uh, to get it right. Um, there were two great mistakes in the life of David. Uh, of course, the first that will come to your mind is uh, his affair with Bathsheba and the resulting betrayal and murder of his loyal um, soldier uh, who was Bathsheba's husband. That is the famous one. Um, that is uh, uh, an act of lust. That is an abuse of power. That is a betrayal uh, of sorts uh, as a leader 
of uh, loyal follower. This is an abuse of power. It is an act of lust, the lust of the eye, the lust of the, the flesh. But there was another one that David did that is not as much celebrated, and that is at the end of his life. Um, he, he sets out to number the people. Now, this isn't an act of uh, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh. This is an act of pride. And the Lord tells him not to do it. It's as though the Lord says uh, to him, you've trusted me for the whole of your life. I have blessed you. I have promised to establish your kingdom. But don't now start adding up the numbers whereby you can say what you have accomplished. Leave that with me. Don't define my blessing. Let me bless. Don't define your safety and protection. Let me be your safety and protection. Never before has David been able to trust in the number of his soldiers. Never before has David been able to trust how many people are following him in his uh, kingship. You going to do it now? No. And so the Lord tells him not to do it. Um, David makes this tremendous mistake in the last years of his life and he does it. And the Lord rebukes him and the Lord gives him time to repent. And when he does not repent, if I remember correctly, the Lord gave him 10 months to repent. And David does not catch himself. He does not repent. He does not turn away from what he is doing. Um, and then the Lord strikes him in the place of his pride. Um, a plague comes upon the people and uh, many thousands of them die as if to show the generations that will read and learn and grow from this. You cannot build a spiritual life by trusting in the safety of your flesh. You must leave that <clears throat> with God and let Him be your protection, Him be your uh, your safety. Uh, I don't want to be ignorant of God's will. <clears throat> I don't want to be impatient with God's will. And I certainly don't want to act independent of God's will. All of these are the devices of demons to try to get me to lose my way. Let's not be ignorant of those devices. Lord, be with your people. Guide us, direct us, empower us. Not simply for the elevation of ourselves or even our church, but Lord Jesus, for the elevation of your kingdom. Help us to understand your kingdom is great, greater than any of us, and that we are honored to be included and to be a part of it. Be with your people in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. See you Sunday. Remember, if you're going to partake of the Lord's Supper with us this coming Sunday, um, you're going to need to get your uh, various uh, items, uh, your uh, wine and your, uh, your, your bread prepared for that. We love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please take Text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.